Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So last Sunday, we started going through the book of 1 Samuel. Um, so we started that, and we looked at um, Samuel and his mom, Hannah, and how she dedicated him. And then we looked at the priest at the time, Eli, which we remember he was probably not the best father in the world. His sons were completely wicked. And so we're continuing on this journey through the Bible together as a whole, as a church family. Our kids are going through it. Our youth is going through it. We're going through it together every Sunday morning just so we can grow in our biblical literacy. Because um, like Pastor Matt sa said, that a lot of us just read certain parts of the Bible, but it's really good that we all get into the whole Bible. Um, so I would encourage you still as um, every morning and every day we put up a daily devotional that you can go ride along. Because the, the sermons, though we try to cover a lot, you can't cover everything. You can't cover 17 chapters in 30 minutes. That's just not possible. So it's up to you and your daily discipleship to be in the Word and pray and seek God. Amen? Amen. So today, instead of looking at just a certain few key individuals like Samuel and Hannah's mom, we're really going to dive in and look at the state of Israel as a whole at this time and see what, how the nation is dealing and how they're obeying God as a whole rather than just look at these few people. Um, and so we're going to start with that in 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting at verse 2. And you can read on the Sky Bible too if it's up there or if you're on Bibles. Um, so we're going to go 2 through 7 and then jump to verse 10 through 11. If you're using normal Bible, say amen when you're there so I don't rush you. Amen? One person? Cool. Awesome. All right, so starting at verse 2. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Verse 6. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Now to verse 10. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter. For 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Crazy story first point we're going to focus on today is that the people confuse the symbol of God's presence with his actual presence. And we see that Israel had made a grave, grave mistake. 
they had thought that just by having the Ark of the Covenant, right, into battle, come down into battle and be there with them, that they were still going to wipe the enemy out, that God was going to be there and fight for them like he'd done in the past. This is something they'd done before when they went into battle. Ark of God comes and they just slaughter the enemy. But this time it didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen is because they looked at the Ark of God as some kind of lucky charm as some kind of symbol that it's, it's a box with magical powers and wherever it is, of course, God is going to be on our side. And that is not the case. And I know a lot of times in our own lives, we take symbolism and stuff and, and we think it, it's supposed to symbolize that we have some kind of closer relationship with God. If we wear a cross or if we have rosaries or we say the same mantra of prayer every day, and that's not the case. That does not reflect your relationship with God. I'm pretty sure that I've been cut off and mean mugged by people in a car with the Jesus fish on it and the go Jesus exclamation point and they cut me off and they mean mug me like so that definitely is no indication these symbols are no indication that God is on your side and you have a relationship with God I actually just watched Mulan yesterday have y'all seen Mulan do you remember who likes Mulan it's one of my wife's favorite movies okay 14 people that's awesome so I'm going to use the illustration anyways so with Mulan, it's during the first part of the movie, and she's getting all dressed up, getting the makeup on, and got the pretty dress, and she's like, she has to go and be presented to, to pass some kind of cultural thing where she can be a bride, okay? And so her mom's fixing her up, her grandma's fixing her up, and they, they give her like the jades of, of uh, pearl jade, or not pearl jades, that doesn't exist, but a jade necklace around her that look like pearls, you know, and then she's like, here's a lucky cricket too, and all these little items that, that are going to make you um, just an awesome bride. You're going to, it's going to be fine. And she ends up going, she's like all the other girls, gets called in, and it's a disaster, it's a disaster. If you've seen the movie, she can't pour the tea right. She ends up throwing tea on the lady's face and like her makeup drowns and then she catches the lady on fire. So I say all this to say that symbolism, though it's a great reminder, it does not, um, it, it's not the same as actually having God's presence there. Just because you wear a cross does not mean God is in your life because you're not accepting him. If you don't obey God and you don't follow God with your own life, reading your word, being in the word, praying, that doesn't mean because you wear a cross that, guess what? God's on my side and everything is going to be great. And that's where we see that the Israelites were at. Is they use this, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be a symbol of a reminder of the covenant between God and his people. It was supposed to remind them that, hey, you're my people, so there's requirements. You need to live this certain way. You need to obey me. But they just looked at it in this time of, oh, you know what? God's going to be on our side. So we bring the Ark. We're going to defeat the enemy. And it did not happen. And so we see that the Israelites, instead of obeying God and trusting him in their daily lives, they, they tried to manipulate the situation. Have you ever done that in your life? Dealt with a problem that's too big that you try to handle yourself? Any control freaks? Any, am I the only one? No? Yes? You try to, try to take care of everything, like any scenario, whatever. And so we see in this way how that can be a good trait at times. The way they did it was very bad. They tried to manipulate God. They tried to make, manipulate his favor for their situation when they weren't even obeying him in the first place. And it was funny because God had been very clear with Israel from the get-go on exactly how they should obey him. I mean, the ark that they're bringing down, the literal Ten Commandments are in the ark, okay? 
put God first, honor your mother and father, don't kill, don't steal, don't do all those things. And so they had no excuse of why they were trying to manipulate God. It's not like, oh, we didn't know. We didn't know this was going to happen. I didn't know I had to obey you for you to give me favor, right? They knew. And so you see, because of that, they tried to manipulate this situation. And that is something that, I mean, we, we, we as Christians, you definitely don't want to find yourself in. Like, God, if I, if I fast or I pray 30 times a minute every day, I expect you when I want this answer that you do it. That is not how God works. God is not a genie in the sky that just takes care of your only needs. He sees everything as a big picture. He sees all time from beginning to end. And so he wills whatever happens in our own lives. And so you see that Israel, they wanted this victory, but without obedience. And they wanted to conquer, but they didn't want to submit to God. It's like you wanted your cake, but you, you wanted to eat it too at the same time. And that's not the way it worked. And so when the ark comes in, they're so excited. They're like, yeah, yeah, ark's here. We're about to whoop up on the Philistines, right? And it didn't happen by any means. And so they're like, what is going on? And the Philistines, they were afraid too because they heard them shouting. And if you hear your enemy after you just killed 4,000 guys, and then for some reason they're pumped up. They're like, what is wrong with them? Like, what has happened? They're like, oh, the ark's here. Oh, no. And they had heard about God's presence with Egypt. They had heard about the past. They've heard what God did to Egypt. And they're like, we've never fought anyone where their God was fighting us. Like, we're scared. But Israel was not obedient to God. So God's presence was not in that moment. God was not there to let them win the battle. He was teaching them a lesson. And so we can learn a lesson from Israel's mistake. If right now in your life, you are dealing with some type of sin, some type of sinful lifestyle, and the Holy Spirit has convicted you on it, or is convicting you right now in this moment, because he talks to us in your heart, he will let you know, then your only reaction as a follower of Christ is to be obedient and to pray that God plucks that out of your life. You can't go on continually living a life of sin and expecting that God is going to continue to bless you and that you're safe. Just because you said a prayer one time, Jesus come into my heart, and now there's nothing else I have to do. It's not the case. It's a day-by-day thing. Jesus told us, I mean, you die to yourself daily. It's a constant thing. It's a constant thing that we have to go through. And his... His love is everlasting, but that doesn't mean that you have the grace to keep living in your sinful lifestyle. You have to change. There has to be that change in your life. Because though God's love is eternal, his favor is not. And if you continue living in that way where you know it's wrong, you know what you're doing is wrong, and you're not changing anything about it, you're not seeking God, that God would remove that from your life and give you the grace and strength to be able to move on past that, then you're going to find yourself in a next, the next big challenge you have, and maybe God will not take care of it the way you desire because you are not obeying him, you are not being faithful to him, and you're not doing what he's called you to do. Amen? Amen. I just encourage you in that, to be able to look at your own life and, and see if there's anything that you're dealing with, unless you're perfect. If you're perfect, don't worry about it. Just kidding. Nobody's perfect. So we see in this moment that God had to teach Israel a very hard lesson. And I thought it was interesting with Hophni and Phinehas were the ones that went to get the ark. And if you remember from last Sunday, if you remember from doing the daily devotional of these guys were Eli's sons, yes? Were they good guys? No. 
Were they good guys? No? Okay, you can talk back to me. It's okay. So they were completely, they were priests, but they completely disobeyed God. And they, they stole God's portion of the sacrifice. They just did all kinds of wicked things, okay? And it was crazy that these two guys that definitely do not follow God were the ones that went and got the ark. Now, the ark was set in the temple behind the veil in the Holy of Holies to represent God's holiness, to represent how set apart God is. That we can't just go up and, and, and be in God's presence whenever we wanted to, because this was before Jesus, before Jesus had made that sacrifice. And so there was that barrier there. So the high priest could only go in, into that room, let alone take the Ark of the Covenant, once a year. And that was it. And so these two jokers end up going into the temple and taking the Ark of the Covenant. And it really struck me, I wonder, they, you definitely see that they did not fear God by any means, to be able to behave that way. And I wonder if it's because they kept living this life of sin and kept just doing all these kind of terrible things. They're like, well, nothing's happened to me yet. It's all good. I don't have to obey God. Nothing bad's happened yet. I know this is what God says, but I'm doing this, and look at me, I'm doing just fine. And so God had so much grace in their lives for him, them, and for him not to strike them down immediately when they were messing up originally, right? I mean, God had sent a man of God to Eli to tell him, like, hey, you're messing up. Your family's going to be wiped out. And Eli didn't get in check. His sons didn't change. So there's the guys that go and get the ark, okay? And because God's presence was not in their life, because they were completely sinning against God. And when you sin, you completely separate yourself from God. That's what it does. It completely separates your relationship with God when you live in a life full of sin. And so because of their leadership, because of what they did, 30,000 people died. Their sinful lifestyles, the way they handled the situation, did not just affect them. Yes, they died, but they took 30,000 other people down with them because of their disobedience to God. Your obedience to God and how you reflect his character. I mean, they, they impact the entire culture and society around you. If you're living in a, a, a lifestyle that's full of sin or whatever, your kids notice. People around you notice. They see it. I mean, I saw it when, before I even came to Christ and saw a bunch of Christians and they claimed Christ, but they would live completely wicked lives. I was like, God, man, God cannot be real. Like, this Jesus thing cannot be real. And though it's not right to put your faith in people, you put it in God. But for the outside culture around us, the way you handle situations reflects who God is in your life. And that's up to you. That's our responsibility. Because of Hophni and Phinehas and because they were evil and corrupt, they took 30,000 people with them. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. So your consequences or your obedience has consequences, both good and bad. Amen? So let's continue in 1 Samuel chapter 6, starting at verse 13. Yes. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Verse 15. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, 
and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. Our next point we'll focus on is that the people receive the symbol of God's presence with joy and worship. So what you don't see, we skipped a chapter, but from where we were previously, where they got wiped out, lost the 34,000 guys, this is seven months after that, when the ark comes back on a cart led by some cows, and the Israelites just are overjoyed, like, the ark's back, like, this is phenomenal. And so you see what had happened was, for in context, after the Philistines had wiped out the Israelites, right, they all ran away. They all fled back to their homes. They were like, uh, I, I can imagine what they're thinking. Maybe they thought God wasn't big enough for their situation because they lost. They were defeated. They lost friends. Maybe our God isn't as big as he claimed to be. Maybe he's not strong enough to handle every situation. Whatever. I don't know. But with the Philistines, you see, there's a completely different situation going on. So the Philistines take the ark. And they're so happy, like, yeah, we beat the Israelites, and they brought their God in your face, right? And so they take the ark to their temple of their God, and his name is Dagon, okay? And he's like a fish god or sea god. He's basically Aquaman. So they just worship Aquaman, okay? And of all the superheroes, really, I mean, that's just DC. Anyways, don't worship DC characters. So that's the point that... They put the Ark of God next to their God, right? This great sea God, their great fish God that they put their faith into, right? Deliver the Israelites into their hands. But so they put it there and they leave and they come back the next morning and Dagon is flat on his face. He's just, he's, he's flat on his face, right? And so they put him back up and they come back the next day and his head and his arms are like chopped off and they're in front of the ark, right? They're like, oh my goodness. And this just brought something so amazing to my attention as you read this, is there is no situation, there is no power, there is no authority that does not have to bow down to God's lordship. Whatever situation you've been through, or you're going through right now, it has to go through God. There's nothing that's bigger than God. There's nothing that can overpower him. There's nothing too big for him. And so the Philistines are learning directly that's the case. That this God, this Israelite God, the God of everything, is way greater than the gods we thought. And man, it looked like God did not handle that situation, but there is more to the story because he is messing us up. And we see that with God. They moved the ark three different times to three different cities, okay? And... The first one they put to that happened to Dagon, and then the people are struck with these plagues, and they're called tumors. So there's different translations of what that looks like. And, and so they're, they're just, they're got maybe boils or whatever, marks on them, and maybe it looks like the Black Plague. I don't know. It's just tumors, okay? And so they're struck with it, so they're like, oh, we got to move this ark out of here. Like, God is wiping us out. So they move it to another, and then that city gets plagued with tumors and everything else. They're like, oh, snap, we can't deal with this. we got to move it over here because God's going to kill us here. And so when they're taking it to the last city, ends up the people are come back like, don't bring it to us. Are you trying to kill us? You're going to wipe us out if you bring God's presence in here. And so we see that with the Israelites, what they were thinking of maybe God wasn't big enough to fight their battles, okay? What they didn't see of what the Philistines are dealing with because what had completely crushed Israel, God was conquering at the same time. 
without them even knowing. They thought God wasn't big enough in this situation. Guess what? He can simultaneously teach his children a lesson on how to obey and how to behave and still take out the enemies that you could not defeat. That's our God. He's a big God. He can handle the big things. And he fights for his own glory. He doesn't need you to fight for it. He's a big God. He can take care of himself. They thought, oh, no, we've lost the ark. It's all hopeless. They're going to wipe God out. God's like, I, I barely even have to lift a finger. I throw some plagues, and they're going to move me around, you know, and then they're going to be afraid, and they're going to send me back gladly with an offering. It's going to be awesome. Just watch, okay? And so that's our God. He can deal with whatever situation. There's nothing that he cannot take care of, and he constantly puts us in a situation where he teaches us, right? And so... Because God doesn't need you to fight for him, the, the, he's, he's taking care of the Philistines, and he sending, he's sending these plagues on them, and they're um, struggling, and they're crying out, and they finally get a lick of sense. They finally are like, you know what? If God continues to do this to us, we are going to become extinct. And their mind goes back to Egypt and goes back to what had happened to the Egyptians and how God had destroyed so many of them. Because you mess with God's anointed, and you're messing with him directly, okay? God does not play games when it comes to that. And so they're like, guess what? We need to appease God somehow. We've got to figure this out. And so they, they get their priests, and they're like, what do we do? And they're like, you know what? If you get make some golden mice and some golden tumors, which I'm like, what does that look like? I don't even know. Do you think about that? When you do the daily devotional, tell me about it. So anyways, they make these different uh, golden items, right? Put them in the ark, or not put them in the ark, but put them in the cart, put the ark in the cart, put two cows to it, and like, okay, so we're going to send these cows back. If they go back the way to Israel, we know it was God, and we know that his hand was on us heavy. If not, then it was, it was a freak accident. It never happened. It wasn't God. And so God leads the cows directly to Israel, and that's where um, the cart ends up being. And so it got me thinking, why didn't God initially just wipe them out? I mean, these people are bad, right? And they're, they're murdering his children, right? They go into battle. They destroy his children, his people. And yet, when God was there in their city, he didn't just, like, send a plague that could just wipe them out. Because God can do that, right? If he can speak and all life can come into existence, of course he can say something and take life. He could have took them all. But he didn't. And it reminded me of something as I was praying about it. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Man, more than he wanted to destroy these people, he wanted to teach them who he is. He wanted to show them his character, show him his sovereignty, show them that, guess what, I am king of everything. I am the one that you need to put your faith into. And he's so gracious with him, doesn't wipe him out. He's completely patient. And in my life especially, maybe in your life, you, we get high hopes sometimes of what we want a certain period of our life to look like or a certain situation or a certain job or whatever. And then when those expectations aren't met, we're just upset or angry or depressed or you, sometimes you can be angry with God. Um, before as a believer, I was definitely angry with God. And it's kind of weird because I didn't even believe in God. So why was I angry with him, right? So it's, we have those moments where you're just so upset or frustrated. But if you flip the script and you see in Second Peter that 
God wants everyone to reach repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And so our God, who's the creator of everything, his desire that no one should perish and everyone should have a relationship with him, and guess what? It's not going to happen. And it hasn't happened. Not everyone freely accepts Jesus in their life. Despite how much he loves them, how much he encourages them, how much he sends people, and that's not going to happen. So when you're in that situation where you're like, why isn't... I mean, put yourself in God's shoes for a second. The one thing he wants will never, ever come to fruition, that everyone would have a relationship with him. And as I was praying about this, and completely, it, it broke my heart to think about that. The God I love so much that can do everything, and the one thing he really wants isn't going to happen. And I think as a follower of Christ, that, that should do something inside you. That should stir you up. That's why witnessing is so important. That's why spreading the gospel, preaching the gospel, discipling people, walking with people like the community here with growth groups, why that's so important because God wishes that all would come to repentance. And if you really find your, yourself in a place where you claim to be a follower of Christ, then your desires start becoming his desires. And you stop getting so selfish with your prayers of God, I want, I need, I need this. Why don't you help me? Why don't you deal with to God, let your will be done. Let your will be done. Let me be a light to the world. Let me be an ambassador for you because that's what you really want. So put everything in me, equip me, guide me to speak to people, to live in such a way that I reflect your character, that I live in such a way that people want to come to Jesus. People want to know you. People want to have a relationship with you. And that's the place that we have to constantly strive for because we should always want to see people come to Jesus. So Israel at this moment, they recognize a glimpse of how awesome God is, that they thought that they had lost the battle, but guess what? God brought the ark back all by himself because he can do that. And their first thing they do is worship. They worship God. And that's important for us to remember that when God brings you through something, when you thought you were defeated, but God's like, hey, guess what? I was just preparing you for something better, or I didn't even need your help in that situation, that you begin to worship God, and you praise God, and you thank Him for getting you through that situation, getting you through that, that tough uh, transition, whatever it is, the sickness, whatever, when, when you lose people, that God continues to pull you through that and guide you through it, and that you worship God through that knowing that he loves us and he fights on our behalf all the time. And by doing that, your first response should always be to worship God, to thank him, to praise him, because we do not always see the behind the scenes that God is doing. We, we're so, I mean, we can only see so much. Our focus can only be so big. We don't know the whole context of the situation that we're going through that is so dire right there. And God's like, just relax. I'm taking care of it. You're serving me. You're obeying me. And so that's our job is to just obey. We don't have to worry about the results. We don't have to, even with witnessing whatever, you don't have to worry about, man, that guy did not accept Jesus right then in that five-minute conversation. What am I doing wrong? Just trust God. Be obedient. Whatever you're going through, whatever the situation, continue to praise God, seek him through it, and God will take care of the rest. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's see if Israel learned their previous lesson of obeying God. Do you think they did? Anybody? No? I got one head shake. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 6, starting at verse 19, and we'll go through 21. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh, 
because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Our last point teaches that the people fail to honor the holiness of God's presence. They done messed up again. Sad story. Just because God had brought the ark back and had been so amazing and had, had, was crushing the Philistines at the same time, all of that does not mean that God changed his mind about being obedient to him of what he had already called you to do, what he had already said, and you see that they did not. They failed to honor God. The ark was supposed to represent right, the covenant between the people and God. Okay? It was supposed to represent his holiness and how he is just so set apart. He's, just, he's, he's way bigger than us, and we need to treat him that way. We need to revere him, fear him, love him. Right? He, he is completely sovereign above everything. And so because of that, it's supposed to be behind the veil in the Holy of Holies, not that everyone can go look whenever they want to. And instead, they take this ark and they put it up as another idol, as another idol that they've been worshiping. And they're, they're taking something sacred and holy and using it as something common. And God is not common. He is so much above what we can think. He's just, we, we can't even grasp God's true nature. It's just, it's so beyond us. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But instead, they, they looked at it as, again, that God's holiness is just another parlor trick. And it's just another thing to, to put up, oh, look, that's cool, God did it, and they refused to obey him. People like the idea, and even I did for a long time, like the idea of God just being full of love and fighting your battles and being there for you and getting you through and picking you up. But when it comes to God telling you that he has rules and requirements to actually get that favor and to actually be a follower of him, we don't like that. We don't like that. We don't like the fact that there, there's something we have to do in our part. Why can't we just live however we want and say however we want? And God, you just take care of us because you love us. You just love us so much. Yes, he's love, but he also requires discipline. And he corrects those he loves. He corrects his children. Amen. So you can't choose to serve God only when it's convenient. It can't just be something you do when you feel like it. It is a day-to-day -day thing. This is a real lifestyle. It's not just something, you know what, on Sundays, I worship the Lord. I raise my hands in everything. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you live however you want, and nobody could even tell you're a Christian. Not only does your character not reflect that, but you don't even talk about Jesus. You don't even tell people about Jesus. How would they know? How would they know? So we love God and, and we want him to set us free from the bondage and the situations that we get in through. But once we're free, we don't want to submit. We don't want to be like, God, no, what do you, I have, there's more that I have to do? Like, can't you just take care of me? And I've learned in my life, maybe you can too, by reading this story, something that's common with me and the Israelites is that when I'm up against a huge challenge 
or some daunting new task or whatever it is, man, I'm, I'm praying, I'm in my word, I'm seeking God, I'm crossing my T's, dot my I's, trying to do everything that he tells me to do, commands me to do, okay, and, and I'm just, I, I don't get lax. But when I'm not up against something that's so huge, I can get more relaxed. And I go, man, I just don't feel like reading my Bible today. Like, ah, it's not convenient. It's not convenient for me. I'm tired, man. I'm tired. I served like 3,000 kids at school yesterday. Not really. But anyway, so you have those moments where it's really true that it's during peacetime that it really proves your relationship with God. Will you still serve God when it's inconvenient? And will you still serve God when you don't have this giant task that you need him to deliver you? God, it's you or it's nothing. It's, it's normal peacetime in your life. Are you still obedient? Do you still love God? Do you still want to know him? Are you still in your word? Are you still having that intimate relationship with him? Are you still praying? Are you still appreciating him? Are you still praising God? That's what determines it. And that's key for us as believers is, is praising God in those moments and in the big moments. When it's easy to do and when it's hard to do. Amen? So there's a couple of ways that we can handle dealing with God's presence and, and how he disciplines and corrects us from looking at the Israelites, okay? And we see with the Israelites that as soon as God struck these 70 guys, that they were like, we are done with the ark. You need to take it back. Kiriath Jerem, have it. We cannot handle this. We don't want it. And so God had disciplined them because they failed to obey and so there's a situation when God disciplines you, when God is correcting you, you can take this approach and you can be like, you know what? The closer God comes in your life, the closer you get with God, the more he reveals the ugly stuff in your soul, the, the more he illuminates the darkness that's inside you. And, and God is holy. He's set apart. He's going to correct that. He's going to show you, like, that's wrong. Be, not, not just because it, it, sin is wrong and separates you, but because it's hurting you. And God loves you and wants you to have life more abundantly. And so he's trying to, the closer he gets to you, the more it can sometimes hurt. And it feels uncomfortable because he's, he's, he's cleaning you and he's teaching you. And we don't like that. And I've met so many people that want to keep God at arm's length. Like, God, you're cool from there. And I love you and I praise you when I need something. But actually, when we're in this thing, day-to-day -day grind, you reveal some stuff that I just don't want to address. I don't want to change. I don't want to change. It's like if you're going to the gym and you want all the muscles, right? You want to get ripped. But like, okay, you tell your, your personal trainer coach, all right, I want to get shredded. But I don't want to do pull-ups. I don't like push-ups. I don't want to do any sit-ups. I really don't like working on my stomach. And that's what you do with God. We're like, God, I want you to bless me and guide me, but I really don't want to put you first in everything. I really don't want to read my word and get closer to you because it's just, it's, it's too much. It's just too much. And we see those people that keep God at arm's length. Second way you can handle God's correction in your life is you get closer. You seek God more. You know it hurts. God is revealing stuff in your life that you didn't even know was there. You didn't even know it was there. And it's not always at once. The Holy Spirit reveals things in his time, okay? And that's why we don't look at other people all the time and start judging them. Look at yourself first. Look at your own heart. Let God transform you so you can help someone else. Don't come from the seat of I'm better than you because guess what? I don't say the F word anymore and you do. That's nothing, right? Look at your own heart. There's stuff that the Holy Spirit still needs to deal with you on and is dealing with all of us on. 
So in those moments where it hurts, you just seek God. And you're like, God, I understand that you are doing this for my benefit. And I'm going to come closer. And I'm going to come closer. And I'm going to pray more. And I'm going to seek you more. Because I need that to be changed. Because God molds us like clay. And sometimes he has to break us completely down to build us up as the vessel he needs in that situation. Though God doesn't have to use you, he wants to use you. You get the privilege of serving God and being a light to the world. That's awesome. That's awesome. But that comes with discipline. That comes with correction. And that comes with God developing your character. So don't fail in honoring God's holiness in your own life. Don't fail in that. Don't run from God. Don't, don't like, oh, this hurts too much. I just can't deal with it. Seek him more because he's going to help you get through it. And he's going to give you the grace to move on and go through that situation and to be there for someone else when they're going through it and you've been through it and you'd be like, I get it. I know. Keep pushing through. God is good. Though it doesn't seem like it, though it seems like you've lost completely and God's presence is lost, it's not. He promised to never leave you or forsake you as a promise to you. And that's our privilege as Christians. So you have a choice to continually grow closer to God or to completely alienate yourself from him. You have that power. You have that power. You can get as close to God as you want. Or you can just completely turn your back. But in saying that, whatever you choose, your decision affects more than just your personal life. It affects your family. It affects your friendships. It affects society. You have that power. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.